morning, everybody. How we doing? I hope we came out not just to sing a song, not just to hear a message, but to sing to our God and to engage with our God, encounter him together. And today's passage is in Matthew chapter 12, as we're going through the book of Matthew. If you want to turn there, I'll give you a minute. Turn to chapter 12 of Matthew, and we will get to those verses in a little bit. But before we do that, fall is approaching, and for some of us, that makes us very upset. For others of us, we're pretty excited about that. Uh, personally, I always want summer to slow down, but when fall gets here, it's, it's my favorite season. There's so many fun things to do during fall. You have apple picking, which some of you may have done already or about to do. Uh, you can do bonfires. The weather's not too hot, not too cold. The leaves start to change. It's beautiful. So many fun things about fall. One thing I've never done in the season of fall that's usually offered are mazes. And I don't know if any of you have gone through mazes before. Corn mazes, bush mazes, other kinds of mazes, maybe brick walls. But when you go through a maze, the point of it is to get to the other side, right? To get through the maze. And you make decisions while you're in that maze. You make lefts, you make rights. Some of those turns that you make lead to dead ends. But you don't know it's a dead end right away. You think you're making a, a good decision. You make a left or right. But sometimes you get to that dead end and you've got to turn around and go another direction. Now, I think life has many dead ends in it. And only by the grace of God do we know some of those decisions, some of those things that we live for, what we spend our passions and our time and our energy pursuing, may end up being, in fact, a dead end. And I'll talk a little bit more about mazes in a little bit. But for now, we're going to see the passage today is about, it's a lot about families. Family of God, family, uh, biological families. And I want to ask you a couple questions. I want this to be a little more interactive than I'm used to doing in a, in a sermon. So first question, if you're more comfortable just writing it down, that's fine. But I want us to think about some of these things. If you want to shout out some defining attributes or adjectives of a healthy family, both biological family, church family, when you think of the word family, what are some healthy adjectives, defining attributes of a good family? Go ahead. What do we got? Got to yell loud. Love, that's a, that's a great one. <laughs> Honesty, what was that? Perseverance. Perseverance, yep, you're there for each other regardless, throughout. Patience, double patience, we got communication, yep. How about safety? You want to feel safe with your family? You want to feel like you belong, that you're wanted? Loyalty, Loyalty. absolutely. These are some, some defining attributes of what a healthy family looks like, what a healthy biological family and the spiritual family, the church, is supposed to be like. And I want to ask you another question. Don't shout this one out. I want you to think about it throughout this message. Here it is. In your life, just your life personally, which has been more important to you, your biological family or your spiritual family, the church, in your life? Can it be both? Do we have to choose? Think about it. Next question I'm going to ask. It's a bit more obvious. Here it is. Does everybody in a family, every member in a family, both 
biological family, church family, does everyone in that family always act like some of those defining attributes we just say in a healthy family? Does every member in a family always act the way that we would want them to act? And a resounding no, right? Don't always act like that. They don't always show up. They don't always persevere for you. They don't always show that they're loyal to you. They don't always show love to you and patience and some of those other things, compassion. They don't always make you feel wanted, included. But here's what I want to say, and I hope this sticks today. We can't control how other family members behave and what they do, but we do have some control on how we behave and what we decide to do as a family member. We can make that decision. We can decide the kind of family member, both church family and biological family, that we want to be, that we would want others to be, and then we can say, no matter if any of the rest of you do it, I can be this kind of family member, and then act on that, and watch how contagious it can be. Okay, we're going through Matthew, and we're already in chapter 12. And so far, we have seen that the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, is about the King Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God, inaugurating, ushering forth, bringing in the kingdom of God. He's been doing it through teaching, Sermon on the Mount, teaching about the kingdom. He's been doing it with power and action and showing that he does, in fact, have the authority as the king of his kingdom of creation. The last couple Sundays in Matthew 11 and 12, have been about the response to the king. How are they overall, the nation of Israel, the religious leaders, how are overall people reacting to this king, ushering in this kingdom? And we've seen the overall reaction has been negative. It's been rebellion. It's been how dare you claim to have this kind of authority? How dare you do that on the Sabbath day? How dare you usurp our authority as religious leaders? It's been overall rebellion. But surely, surely... His biological family, they're going to understand, right? They're going to be there, right? They're going to know what he's about and what he's doing, and they're going to support him, right? Not necessarily. And that leads us to our passage today. Matthew 12, 46 to 50. I have two points for you. First one for our roadmap. First one talks about the blood family, the earth family, Jesus, verses 46 to 47. Secondly, the blood-bought family the heavenly family, verses 48 to 50. That's where we're going. First of all, blood family, verses 46 to 47. Hear these words from the scriptures. While he, Jesus, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside wanting to speak to you. Now, I have two questions about these two verses. Here they are. My first question is, why are his mother and brothers outside wanting to speak to Jesus? It's a reasonable question. That's my first one. My second question is this. Is Jesus anti-family based on his response? We're going to see next. (laughs) Is he anti-family? First of all, why are they wanting to speak to him, his mother and brothers? Secondly, is Jesus anti-family? Before we get to that first question, really quick side note. In some of your translations, ESV, the one I uh, am currently using most often, not every translation has verse 47 in it. And there's a reason for it. 
And if you want to talk to me afterwards about what that is, about why that is, the three or four of you that are going to want to ask me about that, come up, and we will, I will gladly talk to you about that, why it's in some of your translations and why it's not. All right, first question. Why are his mother and brothers, his half-brothers, technically, outside wanting to speak to Jesus? Well, we can't necessarily get that answer in Matthew itself. We have to look a little bit beyond in the New Testament for some hints and some clues about why they're wanting to speak to him. In John chapter 7, verse 5, it says, For not even his brothers believed in him. Do you know that? Mark 3, chapter 21 says this, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. At this point in Jesus' ministry, maybe it's been a year, year and a half, his family, his earthly, biological family, half-brothers, mother, they don't yet understand who he is and what his purpose is, that he's the savior of the world. They don't totally get it. It says in Mark they show up to seize him because they think he's going a little crazy. Can you imagine? Family of Jesus, get together, you know. It's been a little while since Jesus has done that carpentry work. I don't know. He's going around doing all this teaching. Let's have a family meeting. You guys ever have that family meeting? I had some of those growing up. It's time for a family meeting, and we would all get together and talk about something. Maybe it's time for an intervention. We've got to talk to this so-and-so in the family to try to change what they're doing. Family of Jesus gets together. Okay, what are we, uh, we going to do about this? What's, what's he doing? He's going around teaching about this kingdom, and he's claiming to be the They didn't quite understand who he was and his purpose, that they needed him as a savior like everybody else does. Not many people were understanding that at this point in his ministry, that he is, a, he is fully human but fully God and out to save those who put their faith in him as he, will, as he will die on a cross for the sins of the world. They didn't quite understand that yet. You know, for us as well, we might have biological family that are in the family of God, that are in the kingdom of God, that have tremendous faith in Jesus, that we see it in their life, the kinds of fruits of the Spirit, that they have faith and hope and love, and they act like the family of God that we would want them to. And yet we can't borrow their faith in Jesus. We can't take their personal experiences and relationships that they have with Jesus. That's something personal. Now, don't get me wrong. We, it, is a great, it is a great opportunity and honor to know somebody or somebody knows you and they've been praying for you and they've been laying the groundwork. They've been putting down the kindling and the wood and the paper or like Paul said, they've been planting and watering but it is God that gives the increase, the Bible says. It's God that grants us that saving faith, that personal relationship with him and it takes us saying, yes, Jesus, I want that relationship with you. I see it in some of these other people, or my, my, my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my cousin. I want that personally with you as well. It's personal. His family didn't quite understand it. And Jesus did not always submit to every idea, to every demand, you could say, of his earthly biological family. He didn't oblige to their request. It says while he was still speaking, He's teaching, he's preaching to, to his disciples. His family, his biological family's outside. They want to talk to him. He doesn't say, okay, I'll, I'll leave here and go talk to my family. He doesn't always submit to his earthly family, but he does, he does always submit to the Heavenly Father. He always submits to his Heavenly Father. And in our own lives, we can look to Jesus and say, okay, there might be times in our life 
that we don't necessarily line up or do what our family thinks we should do or, or where we should go, but we should always be looking to our Heavenly Father and saying, Lord, how can I do your will? How can I follow you? How can I submit to you? First question, why is his mother, brothers outside wanting to speak to him? Second question, is Jesus anti-family because he doesn't go, because he doesn't oblige to their request? Because we're going to see in a little bit, he calls his disciples his family. Does that make him anti-family? And the answer to that is a resounding no. God created family. In Genesis, he orchestrated the first wedding. He brings Eve to Adam. He says in his word, whom God has brought together, let nobody separate. God has created the family structure. He describes what relationships in the family can look like between spouses, between children and their parents, and parents and their children and siblings. He talks all about it, and he supports it. It goes so far to say in 1 Timothy 5, Paul will say, if somebody, if you don't provide for your relatives, especially those in your own household, you have denied the faith, and you're worse than an unbeliever. We see God supports the family. I don't want to hear people use a verse like this, which has happened, not specifically with people I know, thankfully, Yet, I hope it doesn't happen. Use a verse like this, a passage like this, and say, hey, this is why I left my spouse and my two-year-old baby to go overseas and to take this job or to do this because the kingdom. And I say, no. (laughs) Not the will of your heavenly father. Sports the family. We see in Jesus how he models this perfectly. When he's on the cross, one of his last words, John chapter 19, as he, and this is, one of those, this is one of those passages that just takes your breath away. When you learn about Jesus, he's on the cross doing something we'll never completely understand, enduring infinite pain, infinite suffering, spiritually, emotionally, physically, enduring the wrath of Almighty God. And while he's doing that, he calls out and he says, Son, behold your mother. Woman, behold your son. He's saying, John, now you take care of my mom. That's our God. That is our king. He's not anti-family. He's pro-family, and he's pro-spiritual family as well. Look at verses 48 to 50, and it shifts from talking about his blood family to now the blood-bought family the heavenly family, the family of God. Verse 48, But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now these words might be a bit surprising in our culture, in the West. Even though we would be defined more so as an individualistic culture. But imagine Jesus saying this in front of a crowd that's not an individualistic kind of culture, the kind of culture where family and extended family and cousins and second generations are all living under the same roof, which still is common in some areas in the East today, where when someone would propose and want to get married and and get engaged, he would go and prepare a place in his father's house and his bride would move in with him there. I know many of you would love love to do that. His words would have been shocking in a culture that family and neighbors are paramount. He's saying even our closest of loyalties, 
are redefined based on covenant loyalty to God. That it's God first. In order to truly love your family and your spiritual family, God first. In order to be the kind of family member that we were saying in the beginning here, of of the kind of attributes we're looking for, and in order to express those and reflect those kinds of kingdom values and behavior, it's God first, submission to the Father. Even the closest of loyalties are reordered based on loyalty to God. So who does he say is the family of God then? It says in verse 49, he stretches out his hand and he points to the disciples around him, to the learners, to those who were there listening to his words, those eager to be with Jesus. And he says, here are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Verse 50, whoever does the will of my father in heaven. He doesn't say whoever says they do the will of his father in heaven, whoever does the will of my father in heaven. In heaven. Remember earlier, Matthew chapter 7, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Do you want to know what the Father's will is? I hope so. What is it? John 6, verse 40 says this For this is the will of my Father. You ready? For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise them up on the last day. I hope part of you, when you hear that, just jumps up in excitement. Those who look on the Son and believe in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. That's the will of the Father. He says, look to the Son. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us, convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and says, look to the Son who was given for you. And you know, when we truly do that, when we truly confess and our sins and turn to Jesus and look to him, the one that God has given us to rescue us and to be our Savior and our God and our Lord, our Creator, things begin to change in our lives. We begin to see the marks of a disciple, those people he was pointing to, saying, here are my mother and my brother and my sisters. Hebrews 2.11 says, for he who sanctifies and those who are are sanctified, all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. What is to be sanctified? It means to be changed into the likeness of Jesus, and that happens over a lifetime. He's not ashamed to call them brothers. In the family, those changes start to be made. Our desires start to change. Our love for God and others, he says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and that can be reflected in our own families and in our spiritual families, the church, and so much that we reach out to those not yet in the family, and our heart yearns for more to be in the family of of God. He changes us, and he changes us because he loves us. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You've, You've heard this phrase. He loves me just the way I am, right? He loves me just the way I am. Is that true? Yes. Absolutely, he does. But here's good news that doesn't always feel like good news. He loves me just the way I am, and he loves me too much to keep me the way that I am. Believe that. He'll do that change in us. Why? Not because he hates us, not because he wants to just change your behavior for the sake of changing your behavior because he's annoyed at you, like sometimes we do in our own family units or even spiritual families or within our tribe. We try to change people's behavior just because it annoys us in some way rather than truly caring for that person and wanting the best for that person and for them to live the kind of life that God has designed them to be and to be their 
their best self, I said it, (laughs) in a God-honoring way, the way we've been designed. He wants the best. You know, the grandmother in Downton Abbey, which I'm not ashamed to say is one of my favorite shows, Downton Abbey. The grandmother in that show says this line, which always stuck out to me. She said, love is a far more dangerous motive than dislike. Love is a far more dangerous motive than dislike. And because he loves us, he's going to do that heart change in us. And we're going to start to show semblances, marks of being part of the kingdom of God. The kinds of people that don't just cluster around the family that we were born into and trying to protect what was given to us initially as a gift from God and never reach out to those around us and never care about our spiritual family and those that aren't yet in the spiritual family. No, no, no. He's going to enlarge these hearts of ours to care and to reach out and to show that we belong to him. Who's this invitation for? When he says, whoever does the will of my father, does he mean it? Whoever, whoever turns to Jesus, whoever believes in him can be in the family of God. He meant it. Whoever, all, open invitation. Start counting these as you go through Matthew. How many times he says, whoever will come to me, arms open wide. Anyone can join the family of God. Anyone. If you're here and you don't have confidence that you are part of the family of God, maybe it's the, maybe it's the day to join the family. Is it a perfect family? You'll find out real quick. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> not at all. But one of the marks of being a believer is being committed, of getting up when you fall down, of trying again to care about that person next to you, to reach out beyond just yourself, to sacrifice for others. That's what love does. For God so loved the world that he gave. Love sacrifices. And we get up and up and again and again, and we keep trying, and we take the other step, and we show up again to that next tribe, that next small group, and we organize another chance to get together and to be part of each other's lives, and we make those phone calls, and we send those texts, and we're there for each other. You want to be part of the family of God, it's as simple as saying, Lord, forgive me of the mistakes that I've made, and we all know we have. James says we have all stumbled in many ways. We say, God, forgive me of that. Forgive me of loving something or someone more than you, whatever it is. Could be, an earth, could be your earthly family, could be your job, could be a hobby that you have, could be anything. These sick hearts of ours will make up any excuse, any reason to worship and to live for something other than our creator. We'll come up with it. You don't have to try to tell us something. We'll come up with something on our own. You just simply say, Lord, forgive me of that. Forgive me of loving something or someone more than you. Forgive me of my sins that you nailed to those cross, to that cross that you died on for me not just for the person next to me, not just for my family member that exemplifies and shows that faith and hope in you through their life, but for me. You did that for me. And I believe. I confess, Lord, and I believe that you are who you say you are, not just a moral teacher, not just a good person, not just a carpenter that lived and died 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And I believe in you. Thank you for dying and rising for me. And then we say, welcome to the family. Welcome. So back to the beginning. Which is more important? Blood family or family of God? In your own life, which one, which one exemplifies your life more? Which one shows up more? Which one do you think about more? Do you have to choose? You know, tragically in this world, sometimes we do. 
Easiest, easiest example I could think of. I've heard stories, people in an Islamic family, they turn and they want to become a Christian. And their family says, if you do that, you're no longer part of this family. Get out. And God first, submitting to God the Father first, he's able to say, if you love father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. We remember, we think of those words. When it comes to the time, if we do have to choose, he says, choose me. I'm worth it. I'm worthy of that kind of love and loyalty above any other loyalty that you have in your life. If you have to choose, you choose him. Oftentimes, and I know for the vast, vast majority of us here, we don't have to choose. We can love our family and our family of God, both. We can be there. We can, we can serve both those whom God has given us in our earthly family and our spiritual family, the church. I think for more of us here, we have the temptation to make family into an idol. And for that, I want to remind us of the maze that we talked about a little bit earlier. Some of those turns end in dead ends. You've got to turn around and go somewhere else. Some, sometimes in life, we'll make the decision, whether we even realize it or acknowledge it or not, we're putting all of our hope and all of our time and energy and passion into our family. And if it's just our earthly family, there's a dead end there. There's a dead end. God wants eternal hope, eternal joy, eternal life for us. He wants us to see family as the gift that it is. It's a gift that teaches us more about God himself. It's not an end in itself. It teaches us about the Lord Jesus. It teaches us about our Father. It teaches us about the Spirit of God. How can we know what he means in a healthy way when he says he's our father unless we have some example of what a father is supposed to look like, it's supposed to be like, or us ourselves as a father or a mother? Jesus says, if only to Jerusalem, like a mother hen gathers in her chicks, if only they would come to me. Jesus, father, mother, sibling, our older brother, how do we know this gift of family that he's given to us? We experience it in a way that we can say, Lord, now I understand better what you mean when you say you are my father. When you say we are the bride of Christ, it points us into a deeper, more intimate relationship with God himself. See it for the gift that it is. Don't turn it into an idol, an end in itself, which is a dead end. You see, bonds that keep blood families together, they will break eventually. There is one bond that we can trust that will keep all of us forever united and that won't break. And it also involves blood, but it's the blood of King Jesus. The blood of King Jesus that will keep the relationship that we have with our earthly family, those in our earthly family who have turned to Jesus in saving faith, to be with them forever with our King. And those outside of our biological family who have turned to Jesus in saving faith, the blood of Jesus will keep us together, serving him, with him, worshiping our beautiful King forever together. His blood is a bond that doesn't go away, that isn't formed through our flesh, but in the deepest recesses of our souls, and from which there are no banishments, no deaths, and no separations. And that is good news. If you've heard anything today that you want to talk more about, I welcome you, please. Come talk to me afterwards. There's so many people here that you could talk to. 
but I just want to point out some of our some of our pastors that are here. And if you don't mind, actually just standing up, Pastor Rob, Pastor Ed over here, come find one of us, talk. We'd love to talk to you more about Jesus or whatever it is that's on your heart or mind this morning. I'm going to pray for us as we take communion and we celebrate our King who has bonded us together with something much stronger than earthly blood in our family. Let's pray. God, your word challenges us. Lord, your word frees us. I think when some of us hear that passage and we come from a great family, a healthy family, our first inclination might be to feel threatened by it. That you're trying to take something away from us. And God, there's others, there's others of us when we hear that passage read that don't come from warm, welcoming, supportive, safe, inclusive, loving families, and we hear that read, such hope springs up because we see the value that you put on us, that you want us to be in your family and that anyone can and that we can be part of the family of God. Lord, I pray for all of us that have heard your word, that you'd work on our heart the way that we need it either to be moved away from some kind of idol, even something so good as family, or to be pushed towards and comforted that there is a family, that we haven't been left out, that we haven't been forgotten, that you love us like that, the love of, of a father, of a spouse, of a sibling, of a friend, those kinds of intimate personal relationships. Lord, may we all want that and ask that of you. And then, Lord, would you help each and every one of us here to show the marks of being part of your family, to look outside of ourselves, to care about each other, to love you first with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that because of that, we're going to be able to love our family in a healthy way and our spiritual family, the church, in the way that glorifies and honors your name, King Jesus. Lord, we pray this in your name. God's people said.